3: Let's talk about Utah's academic success uh, that that's been going on here for a while. Uh, so this week, Utah has had some great news come about on the academic front. Uh, they uh, were top of their class in eight in the NCAA APR score. Um, This score looks at eligibility, retention, and graduation of all student-athletes on scholarship and provides a measure of each team's academic performance. Utah once again rated high uh, in both the single-year and multi-year academic progress report, or APR, uh, that was released for Division I schools. So, uh, with that being said... uh, Let's take a look here. So men's skiing, women's soccer, women's swimming and diving, and beach volleyball all earn perfect multi-year marks of 1,000. While women's basketball, cross-country, men's golf, gymnastics, women's skiing, men's soccer, or sorry, men's skiing, soccer, women's swimming and diving, men's tennis, women's tennis, and track and field, uh, and Beach Volleyball earned perfect 1,000 single-year scores for the 2021-22 report. And while football did not earn a perfect score, they were at a .988, which is just below a perfect score, uh, in both single-year and multi-year APR reports. And this was while chasing down their second Pac-12 title. Um Utah football's multi-year score ranks number one amongst Pac-12 football programs and tops all Division I football programs in the state of Utah. So very, very well done on that front. Uh, Utah also had the honors of um, uh, getting top marks in the Pac-12's academic honor roll. Uh, They had 110 winter academic honor roll honorees that hailed for men's and women's basketball, gymnastics, skiing, men's and women's swimming and diving, and indoor track and field. Um, And all these athletes. Hey, uh, it sounds like we have Jake on the line again. Hey, Jake, what's going on, man?
0: Not too much, Michelle. How are you?
3: Oh, you know, just getting the Saturday rolling. Uh, I, before, before I start asking you questions about mm-hmm. BYU and Utah's academic success, uh, what's been the highlight of your week?
0: Highlight of my week this week, I uh, actually started to come up. I've got a busy day of being Mr. Dad, watching kids participate in both sports that they're in. So, yes, it hasn't happened yet, but it's going to be happening here in the next little bit. That's why I'm actually not there with you today.
3: We love to hear that, uh and good luck to the kiddos today in their their endeavors that that they're going through that <laughs> that's you. always so fun uh so I mean right now, I was kind of going through utah's uh recent academic successes the you, mm-hmm. you know their graduation rates uh i so often in sports we talk about. You know, just the sport end of it. But when we're talking about college sports, high school sports, the academics mean a lot too. Uh, you know, in your mind, when a school sees academic success the way that Utah has recently, you know, what, what does that mean and, and why is that a good thing?
0: Well, the biggest thing, <clears throat> excuse me, is that they're putting the resources in there as well. That's the thing about this. We we hear all the time about investing in the football program and building new stadiums and locker rooms and football facilities. Well, guess what? What are their ki- what are the kids there for? Ostensibly, to get an education. So when you see programs like you mentioned, like Utah, having success academically, and I think it stands out. I think I saw Utah State had a pretty good year with the APR scores. I'm sure. I don't I haven't seen BYU's release yet, so I'm assuming they've done pretty decently as well. But across the board. You have to invest in that as well. You're you're trying to make well-rounded young men and young women, especially. So if you're only going to invest in the sports side of it, you're going to lack on the academic side. But to Utah's credit, they've invested on both ends.
3: And Utah has a couple of stats where they rank second in the entire Pac-12 conference. I, and again, this is pretty impressive considering, A, Utah is still technically the newcomer mm-hmm. in the conference. B, this is a conference that puts a lot of stock in their academics. And C, the number one team as far as academics go is Stanford. So you're just below Stanford. Uh, you know, I mean, we're talking about a school that started out as, you know, a mountain west level school. I believe just R1 Research. Uh, what what have you seen as far as the work that they've done over the, the last decade plus uh, to kind of put themselves in a position to be a high achieving academic school, as well as a high achieving uh, sports school?
0: Well, the this one thing you mentioned, the fact that they started out, they were R1 in the Mountain West era, but when they got into the Pac-12, the Pac-12, they're all universities that are, have that AAU designation, which is like essentially the top tier of academics in terms of university status across the country. And, that's a credit to Utah because, what like we've talked about, they've invested in a lot of different arenas, obviously both literally and uh, metaphorically. But the nice part is, is when it comes to the academics here, they got the affiliation with the Pac-12 with some of these elite universities. You mentioned Stanford, and really none of the universities in the Pac-12 are, I guess, substandard. They're all pretty elite research universities. So the nice part is they've been they've had the investment come in on that side and they're also benefiting from it because the research dollars that come with the designation of being an AAU school it get, opens up millions upon millions of dollars and Utah' has been benefiting from that uh,
3: and this is kind of a point that I want to make uh, is mm-hmm. you know we're talking about all this conference realignment and we'll talk about this a little bit later on in the show but I, I think a lot of people miss why this means a lot to Utah, why this means a lot to the Pac 12. It doesn't necessarily mean a lot to every conference in every school. <laughs> um yeah. but but this is a case where the academics really do mean something. Uh and and I think, you know, they're they're when you kind of look at what's going on right now, there's a reason why Utah is highlighting their academic success every bit as much as they are their athletic Success in your mind, you know where where does this potentially lead, and why is it important for schools like Utah to not only celebrate, you know, being good on the field, but also being great in the classroom?
0: Well, I think I think it just it highlights the individuals who are who are working hard because I kind of go back to my original point: is that you're trying to create young men and young women who kind of can go out and make an imprint in the world. There's a lot of them that will play professional sports, especially in the football side of things, and some on the basketball side, but. You hear the NCAA at all the time. Not all of us are going pro in sports. Well, guess what? They're going to go pro in other arenas. And the nice part is, Utah, even before they joined the Pac-12, Michelle, you know this is even maybe better than I do. This is a school that has had really elite academics and like in terms of the individuals who have come through there. Mario yeah, I can think of just different names that have streets named after them up there in that research park area. Of people that have come through that university have made their imprint both in academia just on the university level and that's the that's the nice part is that you can be known for more than just sports and that that there's something to be said about that i think in some ways jake scott makes this point often we have lost sight in some ways of the academic side of things when it comes to the arms race we're seeing in college sports overall but there is still a very uh, a very important part that come with the academic side of it and To Utah's credit, I don't think they necessarily lost sight of that. The nice part is that they've continued to, as you mentioned, invest in it, help these uh, students, uh, whether they're planning on uh, doing something on the academic side of things, they want to go pro in sports, they're still getting an elite education, and that's going to benefit them for years to come.
3: Yeah. Uh, uh, Just this past Thursday, Utah Athletics graduated 109 student-athletes from all 20 of their sports. These are students that were earning their – Either undergraduate or graduate degrees, um, and they were part of the University of Utah's biggest graduating class in its entire history: eight thousand seven hundred, eight thousand seven hundred and twenty-three students receiving degrees Thursday, Friday. So, I mean, well, that's a that's a pretty big deal. Uh, it's awesome to see our schools continue to reach new heights, both. On the playing field and in academia uh, because Mm -hmm. to to be perfectly honest uh, the sports wouldn't matter if there wasn't a school to go to so
0: (laughs) that's that's a fair point like you don't have the school how can you have the college sports right Uh,
3: you can't Uh, at that point then it's like a semi pro deal which I guess I don't know Mm -hmm. some are arguing maybe that's where we're heading next uh, that the college part of it's not gonna matter anymore and be removed who knows uh, I want to shift gears, though, because BYU's had some interesting things going on as of late. Mm-hmm. Uh, you take a look at some of the transfer portal action about, I, I'm kind of losing track of time here. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, you have Lauren Gustin enter the transfer portal only to jump back out, I don't know, maybe a handful of days later. And then this past week, we had Cody Epps enter the mm-hmm the transfer portal and do very much the same thing a day or two being in the portal he jumps back out returns to BYU first of all what do you make of these moves uh what 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 kind of happened there
0: Oh, well, I, I honestly I think both of them are in a similar circumstance both of them are athletes that wanted to explore the NIL space a little further see what other opportunities might be out there and as you mentioned Lauren Gustin is I think you're right two weeks ago she decided to do that and she spent about two days in the portal before announcing that she was going to come back. Cody Epps was about a three-day window of where he was looking at it. The the, the bigger fur obviously came for Cody Epps because he entered the portal just hours before it closed for football players. We all know it was open from the 15th to the 30th, and he went in on the 30th. And there were some people out there who thought that he had gotten a, a, a sweet NIL deal that They told him that it was contingent on him getting into the portal. Everything that I understand about both situations was that both of these athletes just simply wanted to kind of look at the marketplace, so to say, see what opportunities were out there. And then after they evaluated that, uh, they felt like BYU was still the best option to, to stay put. And they both decided to return to Provo.
3: What do you feel like that says about the situation at BYU? One, that they would look, look elsewhere, uh, and two, mm-hmm. that, that they would ultimately decide that that was still the best place for them? I
0: think that it's it's both good and bad. The, the 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 good news is that BYU has their collective, the Royal Blue Collective. Utah obviously has theirs now. It's called the Crimson Collective. These collectives are going to be very, very important for athletes like this. These are high-level athletes. Lauren Gustin probably could have picked any number of schools she could have gone and played for this year. Uh, the way I understand it, though, the BYU's collective stepped up to make sure that she was taking care of NIL-wise, giving her those opportunities to make money off her name, image, and likeness, a similar circumstance to Cody Epps. But I, I think the the negative is that they feel like they need to go out and look in the first place uh, to, to find, I guess, ultimately what they're looking for. And BYU, I think would like to keep that from happening going forward. But, I think as these collectives start to really get revved up, because I think the Royal Blue and Crimson Collectives, both the University of Utah as well as BYU, they're relatively new. They're not necessarily as well-established as some of the other collectives around the country that jumped up seemingly overnight. But as they start to grow a little bit here, get more and more of a, alumni involved in those collectives, I think you'll see less and less of the situation that's played out, as you mentioned, with both Lauren Gustin and Cody Epps in Provo.
3: That brings up an interesting point, Uh the state of utah as a whole mm-hmm. i feel like we kind of get hit with a we're kind of cheap <laughs> we're we're, we're cool. we kind of hang on to our money uh we're not maybe perhaps the most forward flowing with our money do you think mm-hmm. there's a chance and an opportunity for utah's collective byu's collective to to have the kind of fi- fire power it might need in order to keep the athletes the best athletes that we get here from going elsewhere?
0: I do think there is the opportunity to do that. The one thing about Utah you mentioned yeah, there's a there's a I guess a, a point out there that yeah U- Utah's are notoriously cheap as you mentioned. But the thing about this is I think as you start to see these collective uh, start rolling, and I think there are people who may be reticent to invest in collectives right now or give more money to the collective because they're just kind of wait. There is a waiting process here to see ultimately what the impact is going to be of that. If these collectives can go out and show kind of a track record of helping these student athletes benefit from the name, image, and likeness, I know that the Crimson and uh, uh, Royal Blue collectives, uh, both universities, have endeavored to make it more than just NIL. Though Michelle, you, you know this as well as I do, they're offering mentorship programs. I know BYU mentioned they want to have mental health services as part of theirs. I'm sure the Crimson Collective has got something similar set up with it. They're trying to give all of the opportunities and benefits to these student-athletes. But it's going to, like I said, it's going to take some time for the, I guess, the results to speak for themselves. But I think as you start to see the, the gears turning a little bit, I think you'll see more and more people say, okay, okay, I see why, where this is going. I'm willing to invest in it. And that's ultimately going to be what it takes. It's going to take investment from multiple individuals, if not hundreds, to get BYU and Utah to where they can compete nationally, but I'm of the opinion that they can get there. It's just going to take a little bit of time.
3: How important do you think it was for both of those collectives to not just make it about handing out money that, that there's a little, a little more to them than simply, Hey, here's your bag. You know, pat, pat on the back. Now go do your thing.
0: Yeah, well, that's the thing. There are collectives that are absolutely doing exactly what you're describing. I think th- to both universities' credit, both BYU and Utah, I think both universities – because these are, these are the officially endorsed collectives of the universities. So the universities can't have direct involvement with them, but mm-hmm. they can endorse them. And for these schools to in- have endorsed both of these, I think the schools essentially said, okay, here is what we want this to be about. We want it to be about more than NIL. So to both university leadership uh, – I guess their leadership groups' credit – they should deserve a lot of the the push to be like, you know what, we don't want it to, yeah, simply to be you guys handing out bags of money to these athletes and say, hey, get out there and go play. We want it to be more than that. We we, we want it to supplement what they're already getting, with their education, the opportunities on the football field or whatever playing service they happen to be playing on, gi- giving them a more well-rounded opportunity to be, to be benefited by, as, as I've mentioned, some mental health services, mentorship, job training opportunities. That's the stuff that these universities, I think, they had the foresight to say, you know what, we can do more than yeah, simply just hand out money. How, from BYU's
3: perspective, because I, I think Utah's just in a little bit of a different place than BYU at the moment, and that's yeah. not to say that it won't change, but uh, from BYU's perspective, how often do you think they're going to see players test the waters and then, you know, maybe, maybe you lose some, maybe they continue to decide to come back before that's not even really a thing. Uh,
0: so I had a conversation with a buddy of mine who's actually not, he, he's not a fan of any of the universities here. He's actually from out of state. We were having a conversation about this and the school that he happens to root for. He said that since their collective got set up, it, it's actually been, it's been essentially every transfer portal cycle. He, t- he said at least one athlete has done this. And I, I'm not surprised by that. I honestly think this is going to be uh, a once a transfer portal, once a year type thing potentially for the universities. But maybe I'm thinking a little too cynically about that. I just, I think that these student athletes, they realize that they have the power to go out and make things happen. And the way they do that is obviously use the transfer portal as leverage for them to leverage, whatever they can get NIL wise. People talk about this being free agency in many ways. It is, it is, that your rights go to the to the highest bidder, and that's what's happening right now. So, do I think that it's going to completely go away? Not necessarily, but I do think that as you get, like as I mentioned, you get those collectives up and running, where these collectives are offering the benefits to these student athletes, maybe they become uh, more of the more no- not, not, notoriety, but they become more of the well-known type variety where they're offering more than just money, even though money is a big component of this. I think you could slow it down a little bit, but I don't think you're ultimately ever going to completely eliminate it either Utah or BYU.
3: Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, you're, you're going to see someone, at least someone yeah. m- on one or, or perhaps both sides, even uh, maybe think that they, they can find some higher value elsewhere, um, whether or not they actually get lost, in that shuffle or not uh, who knows uh it hasn't happened yet i'm sure it eventually will um to someone somewhere some way and uh it, it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out uh i looking at these two players and this is maybe not a fair question so maybe i need to kind of bolster this a little bit differently but who who do you think would have been the bigger loss for for their team or why? I think actually the better way to ask this, because I think they mm-hmm. both in their own right would have been a very big loss. What, what does both of them returning mean for both of their teams?
0: So for, for women's basketball, for the Lauren Gustin situation alone, she would have, if you want to, in terms of sheer impact, I think she would have the bigger impact because she is such a great rebounder and has the ability to really help BYU get extra possessions and is just kind of as a leader in that basketball program. Amber Whiting is a second-year head coach who's trying to kind of establish a new culture, and to have somebody like Lauren Gustin there, who is, she's been through the quote-unquote battles time and time again, she can point to some of these younger teammates and say, okay, here's what you need to do, or here's how you need to respond to the situation. So honestly, I think Lauren Gustin probably would have the bigger impact now in terms of the overall uh, fan interest level. Cody Epps leaving the program absolutely drew the ire of Cougar fans because they were like, what in the world's going on here? But the thing about this is, 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 some will point out to you, Cody Epps has been at BYU for three years and has played a grand total of eight games in the show. He played eight games last year. In and, and three years, of BYU has played a total of eight games. Now, in those eight games, it was absolutely phenomenal and looked like an emerging star for the BYU football program at wide receiver, but they've got to obviously make sure these student athletes are taken care of, but I think that they're going to be given the opportunity to go out and make an imprint. I have no reason to think that Cody Epps won't be one of BYU's top three receivers, maybe even the best receiver on their roster this year stats-wise. And Lauren Gustin, she set a program record for rebounds last year and was, I think, 10 or 12 rebounds away from setting the national single-season rebounding record. There's no reason to think she can't go for that record once again this year.
3: Okay. Well, Jake, I appreciate your time. Before you go, though, tell everybody Mm -hmm. what your kiddos are up to today.
0: So I've got my daughter as a cheerleader. She absolutely loves it. So she's got a cheer competition. Obviously, we'll be going out and rooting for her on that side of it. And then my son uh, decided he wanted to play some flag football. So we're up to go, he's actually first up. We're heading over to the, to the park here by us out here in Saratoga Springs watching him. He plays for the Raiders, funny enough. That's the team he was drafted <laughs> to. But he has got a flag football game, and we're going to go out and see how it goes.
3: Well, good luck to you and the baby hatches. Uh, and uh, we'll see you next week.
0: Okay. Thanks, Michelle. Talk to you soon.
3: All right. Sounds good, Jake. All right. There you have it. Jake Hatch talking a little bit about Utah's academic success and some of the craziness going on in the transfer portal with BYU. We have to take a quick break. Up next, we will look into some Utah jazz news. You are listening to The Saturday Show on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone.
4: Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night.
3: All right, we're back at it on the Saturday show. I am Michelle Bodkin. Jake Hatch is not here today, though we did have a lovely phone conversation in the last segment about what's going on with BYU and Utah uh, as far as graduation and transfer portal. Now we are turning our attention to the Utah Jazz. There's a couple of things that have been going on this week that have kind of been, you know, fun and interesting to look at. First of all, Vivint Arena no more uh we're 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 taking down the vivant and we are once again going back to the delta center it feels so good it just feels so good it feels so right shay <laughs> yeah definitely it's it's strange how long has it been the vivant arena Ooh, i'm trying to remember when it changed from energy solutions to the vivant uh but it's it's been the vivant for a while it's been the viv for a while uh it's i it's been about 30 years since it's been the Delta Center, a little, probably a little more than that. Um, <laughs> wow, time flies, uh, and I just aged myself. That's fine. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. That's okay. Uh, but it, but it's going to be fun. It's fun for some of us older people <laughs> that uh, we're going back to the Delta Center, which is what the building was originally called, uh, and I guess we'll, we'll be keeping our eyes out for, for when those letters start to come up. The other interesting thing that's kind of been going on, uh, you know, we're we're getting into trade season, um, trade rumors, and uh, if you believe a report from the Athletic, it looks like the Utah Jazz, among many others, are interested in the services of Dallas Maverick Luka Don- Um, So. You know, it's uh, the one thing that what I'm kind of reading up on on this situation that maybe makes it a little more, I don't know, little, a, a little more in the Utah Jazz's favor, perhaps over everybody else's. If if a move is to be made for Luka, um, is the trade moves that the Utah Jazz have already made with Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, and of course... Russell Westbrook as well, Um, it gives them nine future first-round draft picks over the next six years. Could that be lucrative enough to mark Cuban? Who's to say? Um, It seems to be a situation that people are keeping their eyes on. Um, We did have an interview this week with Tim Lacombe uh, that kind of goes over some of this stuff and, and what to look for on the Utah Jazz front.
0: Let's talk a little coaching change uh, going across, along across the NBA, including the big one yesterday. Mike Budenholzer out in Milwaukee. Did that surprise you after what happened in the first round?
2: Yeah, I just, well, I'm you know I was surprised they lost, but talk about a short leash. You know, um, he just won a championship a couple of years ago and uh, had the best record in the league, and so I don't know. I mean, there must be some some more to the because from the outside looking in um, the it, you know again not a whole lot of leash for a guy who took you someplace you'd only been one other time and been a long time ago
1: yeah man thanks for nothing coach bud have a have a good well, one you know
2: that's what coaching is it really is a uh, you better you better win you know you just better win there be should be no ex, there's no excuse for losing there's no uh, nowhere to hide and you just don't get to make the decision; somebody else does. So, it is—it's a beast, man. If, if you're a young person out there considering coaching, choose another avenue.
1: Yeah, come
2: see—come see me at SpiriOn, and we'll help you.
1: I wonder if—if if this is part of it, and I don't know if this is a question as much as a comment for you, uh, coach. But maybe the most obvious example of what I'm talking about is uh, Jimmy Johnson and Jerry Jones. So you have an incredible amount of success, and all of a sudden you get into a purse fight over. Who gets the credit, right? And that that leads to some interesting like relationship dynamics, like right? some relationship changes and things. And I I would be really curious at what the internal politics with the Bucks are right now. I guess is my point.
2: Yeah, that's that's my thought too, Jake. I thought the same thing. Is there is there's a faction or, or there's a story there, right? Yeah. So it's way more than just losing in the first round.
0: So. Let me ask you this then. When you look around the NBA, if it's not just winning, what what do you view as a good coach and who's a good coach? Like how can you tell that there's a good coach out there?
2: Um, you know, I it was a, it was interesting because going into the, you know, from the college game and being really familiar with coaches and then coming in and watching the NBA, you know, I think it's it's a team that's got an identity. Um, you know, I think uh Memphis, you know, up until the implosion this year, um, really went on a track. And um, remind me, I know his first name's Taylor. I can't remember his last name at Memphis. Taylor Jenkins. Taylor Jenkins. uh, a, A former Popovich guy, you know, aligned to Quinn. But I've always been really impressed with his teams. His teams stand out to me as a team that they share the ball, play really hard. Um, you know, the Dylan Brooks thing got away from him and it's crazy but that, that is the other part of coaching that is so difficult is, is you cannot control all the variables. You know, you, you can try to keep the most important variables tracking toward the goal, but there are outliers much like Dylan Brooks, just popping off and saying LeBron James is old. You know, um, we had a guy, we went to St. Mary's and we were poised feeling like we were going to win the game. And Nick Emery got down there. I love Nick to death, but, you know, he takes his camera out and films the gym and says, literally, a high school gym. Um, you know, it makes everybody's – you know, everybody picks it up on Twitter and goes crazy, and we go into that literal high school gym and get demolished because of the emotion. You know, it's just – you can't control all the variables. So, I, I do like Taylor Jenkins. I think he is a guy who uh, whose teams play really well. I, I also – you know, it, it goes without saying, I mean, Steve Kerr's done an amazing job. He's, he's so outside the box. He trusts his guys so much. Um, you know, I think Steph, in large part, is Steph because of the ability to play for Kerr. Uh, much like Jimmer, I talk about all the time was that with Dave Rose. So um, you can see bits and pieces, but I would say most coaches in the NBA have a real good idea what they're doing. It's just about getting traction.
1: Who's the best team left uh, in the playoffs?
2: Mm, um, Well, you know, Denver's playing about as good as anybody, but Jake and I, we were down on Denver, man.
1: I know, but they're playing way tougher. I didn't know that they were capable of that. That's kind of what's throwing me off about Well, but I
2: also, I mean, Phoenix is not, you know, and I listened a little bit this morning. Locke was on with the, the morning guys. He made the point that Phoenix just doesn't have shooters in every spot, and that really hurts them because the mid range is not as attainable. You know, everybody kind of sag and sink to that mid range. If you don't have shooters out there, that can stretch that. That really hurts them. So, um, you know, I'm still looking at it right now. I'd say the Warriors. Until the Warriors get beat, they won it last year. Um, in the East, I would say the Celtics. You know, I think have have probably. Um, have it going. That you know, wish Malcolm Brogdon could have that pass back. Reminded me of the uh, Georgetown, North Carolina, in '82 when I was a kid. Um, Sleepy Floyd threw it to the wrong guy for a dunk the other way. I think it was James Worthy. Um, but I think I think Boston is is the best team in the East, um, and I think they're a tough matchup for Philly, particularly with them being a little scalded, a little beat up. What do you make
0: of Chris Paul going forward?
2: Well, I think he's hit that time. I mean, he, the last couple of years, he's been phenomenal, right? But um, I think you got to start looking at the mileage and the tread. Uh, certainly a guy that can help somebody, but I don't know to the extent that he has in the past. And, you know, I don't know that State Farm is going to be on the lead with him because I don't know that he's going to play that huge role, you know. But still really, really talented. We know he's headstrong and does not like to be told no. So he'll fight like crazy. But I I just think there's a lot of water under that bridge.
1: Yeah. What is it? Father Time is undefeated? Undefeated. I'm I'm
2: feeling it, man. It's hard. (laughs) It's hard just being not an athlete. Just getting up out of a chair at 52.
1: Uh, the, uh, Ben's been asking this question, so I'm going to steal it and, and ask you the first round series between the Cavs and the Knicks, did that outcome say more about the Knicks or did it say more about the Cavs?
2: I think it said more about the Cavs, um, because the Cavs were really kind of rolling all year long and we all know the playoffs get different, um. Cleveland kind of looked like one of those really good regular season teams, AKA maybe the jazz of the last couple of years that just don't have what it takes to win in the playoffs. And so, um, you know, the Knicks to me, Tibbs toughness, you know, really paid off for them and Brunson was phenomenal again against Mitchell. Um, but I, I think people in Cleveland, I, you gotta be concerned, um, about, You know, certainly got talent, but does it resonate? Can it climb? And again, it was their first crack as a group, so can't overreact too much, but, you know, just initial take.
0: Coach, I'm going to let you excite Jazz fans on Twitter because it's the narrative I've started to see around. Is
1: Luka Doncic the player you'd be willing to trade a lot of the Jazz assets for?
2: Oh, man. You know, I think in some ways, yes. Um, he, he Certainly from just being able to looking at what the Jazz truly need, um, they need a point guard. <laughs> He's the best there is. Um, they need a, they need another star. And I've always said this. One thing good about Lucas is, is I think Lowry could fit and play with him better than maybe most other stars because he just doesn't have that usage rate um, that you see with with guys that put up the numbers he puts up. He's really efficient. So uh, I would say if there's an opportunity, you've got to pursue it because he is a difference maker, I think, in the right system with the right guys around him. Um, and it could be really, really, really intriguing. But at the same time, you know, there are – concerns because I heard Jake talking about this the other day. I listen to you guys when I can. Um, You know, the usage rate that he demands and the ball always in his hand. And so it would just have to be uh, a new situation where everything's defined. But, man, generational player at the age he is, I would say that would be pretty good. uh, Certainly take your time. Take your time looking at all that.
1: So, Tim, I was just thinking, I don't think I've ever asked you this question. So I'm going to ask because we've been we're talking about coaching and what makes a good coach and all that stuff.
0: How much money do you make?
1: Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> is what I was I was going to ask. Uh, no. Oh. Why? I've asked him that, actually. Why did Rick Majerus not take a pro job? Right. The Bucks were interested in him at one point, I think, and probably wasn't the only one. And how would he have done as a pro coach?
2: Well, he was an assistant, in, you know, and he got his, he, he got to, with the Bucks. he got to see kind of what it was like at the pro level under Don Nelson. Um, I remember when uh, there were conversations while he was at Utah about, you know, every summer jobs would come available in the NBA, in college basketball. And during practice from time to time, you know, he'd talk about stuff and he would just throw it out there. But I'll never forget he was a, uh, He was talking to or working with a guy at the free throw line. And he was kind of talking to him about the fundamental of shooting free throw and kind of getting them dialed in. I can't remember exactly who it was. But I just overheard them say, you know, they want me to coach in the pros. The problem is if I did this with Carl Malone, because Carl Malone, as he told the kid, falls away from the free throw line every time he shoots it. You know, he's always – momentum's taking him away from the hoop. He said, you know, if I held his feet to the fire and made him shoot the ball without falling backwards, they would fire me. You know, if it became contentious, I would get fired, and he would stay, and that's why I'll never coach in the NBA. So that was his, you know, I heard that from his mouth, that, you know, players could actually usurp coaches in the NBA, and he didn't like that. Um, from a an X's and O's schematics standpoint, he would have been unbelievable. You know, nobody was running... Um, pick and roll back then. We used to run a five-man motion. We'd have sets, but we'd run five-man motion, a lot of flare screens and pin downs. But at the end of the clock, the floor would flatten, and we'd sprint our big guy up, Billy Act, for Andre. And, you know, Majerus started to incorporate ball screens. I think, sooner or earlier again, kind of brought him back into vogue. But he he had a good feel for, for the game he would have struggled with the PR side. He would have struggled with the interactions with the players. Probably not as important back then, but I think it's everything now. I think that's the differentiator today in coaching as opposed to back then is being able to relate and communicate with kids.
3: All right, there you have it. Tim LaCombe on the NBA and the Utah Jazz. Uh, he was on earlier this week with Jake and Ben. Uh, some really good insight into what's Maybe going to happen with Luka Doncic as well as uh, a story about Rick Majeris because who doesn't love one of those? Uh, we got to go take a commercial break. On the other side, we will do technical fouls, uh, rewarding people for bad behavior in sports. You are listening to the Saturday show on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone.
0: If you're coming from the street with dirty shoes
3: on your feet, that's a technical foul. If you switch the radio to some modern music show, that's a technical foul. If you touch the thermostat, you'll
1: get hit with a bath. Cause that's a technical foul. You will feel my wrath. That's a technical foul.
3: Personal file, 69, offense. He was giving them the business. A technical foul. All right, welcome back into the Saturday show. I am Michelle Bodkin, and as you heard, it is time for technical fouls. Now, before I flip this over to Shiler, I need to give a technical foul on myself because I have been getting your name wrong all so long, and I just realized it. So it's totally okay. <laughs> I've come to a
5: point in my life where my name is so different that I just like people say things, and I'm like, you know what? That's That's probably me. That's my name today. (laughs) My name is Shay today. We're going to go with it. But no, it's all good.
3: Anyway, Shiler has a technical foul uh, that we need to go over. So let's hear it. Well,
5: today is the Kentucky Derby Day for those who like to watch horse racing. I am not one of those people. My sister-in-law comes from Kentucky, though, so Mm. she hosts a big Kentucky Derby party. But uh, two days ago or a day ago... couple of days ago one of the trainers was thrown out um due to two of his horses that he was involved with dying and this is two of four horses that have died in the last week um just so strange that you know the one time everyone in the united states gathers to watch horses race Mm -hmm. all of a sudden they're all dying
3: (laughs) uh yeah that feels a little excessive Of uh, look, horses are beautiful animals, uh, and I'm an animal lover, more on the dog side of it. Um, but I, I, I don't love when people mistreat animals, uh, and it sounds like maybe, maybe, maybe there's some of that going on because I don't think horses just up and die frequently. No,
5: I don't. I don't think so. And I guess they're just still investigating it. But just what a strange way
3: to start. Kentucky Derby. Kentucky Derby. Uh, Shrouded in a little bit of mystery. Okay. I I also have a technical foul. Um, In a way, it's kind of more sports adjacent. Uh, This has to do with Jackson Mahomes, who is, of course, Patrick Mahomes' younger brother. He was arrested Wednesday morning on a warrant for aggravated sexual battery and booked in the Johnson County Jail. Um, Now, the technical fouls, not on Jackson Mahomes. I mean, like, he deserves one, for sure, for sure. Most definitely. Um, I I think that goes without saying. But my technical foul actually goes to the responses to the video that was released of what got him in trouble. There there were a lot of people saying, well, that was it. Uh, Jackson Mahomes, uh, if I go through this, hold on. Um, Let's see. There's video of him... Okay, a video of him shoving a 19 year old male waiter um, more than once and then forcibly kiss the 40 year old female owner of the restaurant he was at. And it was this kiss that everybody was like, well, that is that's a big deal. And this is this is my answer to you. As someone that has recently had something like that happen to them, there is no action big, too big or too small that doesn't make you feel absolutely violated. And so, you know what, if like, I am so happy for you if you feel like that's not a big deal, because that means that like you haven't had someone think that they have the right to invade your space like that. But I can tell you, it's a very, very painful thing. And it leaves you questioning a lot of stuff. Um, And and there is a little bit of, uh, you know, I'm almost 34 years old. I'm 34 years old, and people still think that they can take advantage of me. But it's very frustrating um, to be a full-grown adult and realize that there's people in this world that just think that they have a right to do certain things to you. So technical foul on you guys for thinking that this isn't a big deal because it is. It, it really really sucks. It hurts. I hope you never have to experience it. For those that have had to experience it, I get it. I I'm one of you. Um and and it is frustrating af <laughs> if I'm being honest. Like um it, it just the laws don't really protect you this owner is very lucky in that she has video proof because a lot of times this is a he said she said type of situation and there's just really nothing that can be done so uh technical foul technical foul just be nicer just just understand just because it's not your reality it does not mean that it's not someone else's reality i think as a human race we just need to get better at that
5: absolutely
3: well, uh, we will go ahead and wrap this up. On the other side, we will get into some of, uh, again, another mystery, I feel like. The mystery of conference realignment and media, media deals, particularly relating to the Pac-12. We have an interview from Dennis Dodd that we will play for you. Of course, I have my own opinions that are very, very different from Dennis Dodd's. Uh, and we will either get into that. In the next segment, or the segment after that, depending on how long this all takes, you are listening to The Saturday Show on 97.5 FM.
4: Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night.
1: Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do.
4: When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything.
1: It was violent, it was
2: senseless.